<laughs> Hi, and welcome once again to Dad and Slaughter. The Dad and Daughter Horror Show. I'm Jeff, the dad, also known as Dead. And I'm Sam, also known as Daughter and also known as Slaughter. If you haven't joined us before, we're glad you're here now. Uh, This is a podcast in which I and Sam have decided to delve into the world of horror films. And we've chosen some of the best films from basically since movies have started being made. And we are watching them together, sharing our experiences uh, while viewing them, and then sharing with you our take-homes from the movies themselves. Sam, why don't you tell everybody about how we've decided what movies to watch? Our criteria for horror is it's not about the scariest movies, but the best movies that happen to be scary. That's right. And that's why thus far we started with Psycho, which, uh, you know, was Was a a classic, a classic, a thrilling movie, but not really jump scary. The Exorcist, which was incredibly unsettling, but again, not scary the way we think of scary movies today. And then for this episode, Rosemary's Baby. So let's get right into it. Sam, why don't you give us a little synopsis of the film Rosemary's Baby? The film starts in 1965. A young couple, Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse. Um, Guy is an actor who is struggling to find work. They move into a new apartment, a beautiful apartment that happens to be very old. And they meet their neighbors who happen to be extremely eccentric And as the movie proceeds, we watch through Rosemary's eyes, uh, her pregnancy, and we soon realize that nothing about the pregnancy or anybody who lives in the building is right. We realize that Rosemary has been part of a um, very terrible plot, and we we then come to realize that Rosemary is actually carrying Satan's spawn. Right. And through the course of the movie, we see her realization of the fact that nothing is right with this pregnancy and that something terrible is going on. And of course, the end of the film, which we'll discuss uh, when we talk about our experience. Sam, I think it's not a stretch to say that we both enjoyed this film immensely. Yes, tremendously. It was an amazing film. Honestly, it was just thrilling and full of plot twists. It was just very enjoyable. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, for a movie that is what, 52 years old, uh, this movie has held up incredibly well. I think it's unbelievably relevant to current times and just, I I was astonished at how good this movie was. So I I, I just like, I've been so excited to talk about it with you because I I know when we watched it, when the movie ended, both of us just felt like it was just just completely in awe. And it was just, it really stuck with us. Yeah. And it's interesting because I have known about this movie just sort of peripherally since I was a teenager and just never wanted to see it because I just had this notion that it was much more terrifying than it actually turned out to be. It was a scary movie, but it was scary in non-conventional ways, and we're going to yes. talk about that in a little way in a little while. Uh, it was it was not scary in a typical horror film way. Um, so why don't we just talk about the experience of watching the film? How did you? How did it make you feel while we were watching it? 
definitely an intriguing movie with lots of twists and turns and just small details that you would miss if you weren't really paying attention to them. And I think that when I was watching it, I just remember having my little pad and pencil sitting next to me and just really enjoying the movie and then realizing these little small details that I just felt the need to write down because I really wanted to bring them up. So here are a few of them. The, The different lighting throughout the film where when Rosemary is having a very difficult time and she's losing weight rapidly and she's just looking like a ghost the lighting is a lot more gloomy and it, it comes from above rather than from the side and it's it's just not as bright. So you can really see how she looks like almost like a skeleton. And um, when uh, she realizes her pregnancy and she's feeling much better, the lighting is much brighter. You can really see the colors. It's just, it's just very interesting how they use the lighting and also the ticking of the clock in her room, how when there's a lot of tension you can really hear the ticking of the clock and it gets much louder whereas when something of less importance is happening it's really not as noticeable so I really enjoyed this movie at first I really thought that it would be predictable and I wasn't thoroughly enjoying it but it was just amazing yeah it's uh, some very astute observations uh you'll see that a lot uh filmmakers use light and shadows to set the mood. Um, this is a film that does not, like the other films we've watched, really doesn't use music uh, to, you know, set up the scares. There's, there is music in the movie, but, but not, not the way, you know, we think of in, you know, horror films today. The, the music is not what makes it suspenseful. Uh, rather, the lighting and, the, you know, the, the moodiness of the scenes. Uh, I found this to be, um, at times, an incredibly claustrophobic movie. Uh, which is predicated by the the story, obviously. Uh, you know, here's this woman who is in a situation where she's increasingly isolated and alone, and you know, within the confines of this apartment, which, while very large, becomes a prison of sorts and a prison, you know, populated by the most you know, crazy and, and frightening, frightening guards. Yes. Right? So yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, good techniques, uh, by the filmmaker, uh, Roman Polanski, who we'll talk about a little bit later. The other thing that I felt when we were watching it was just this increasing sense of paranoia as the story progresses and Rosemary is becoming more attuned to the fact that something is going wrong, she herself realizes how crazy it all sounds. She starts reading books on witchcraft and she starts uh, reading uh, books and putting together the connections between a charm that she was given uh, at one point in the movie and uh, about how she thinks her neighbors are poisoning her. And I have to tell you, as an emergency physician... I'm trying to imagine this person coming into the emergency department and telling me, listen, my neighbors are poisoning me, there's a cult in my building, and they're all witches. That patient would be sent to the psych ward immediately. Yeah. And yet here we are watching her go through this and know that in the world of this film, that is exactly what is happening. And it's, it, it uses an, a, an incredible fear tactic where you just feel alone, like you were saying, claustrophobic, because you 
no one will believe you and anyone who will is a part of this cult. Right. And it's it's just, it's frightening. Yeah, and that was really, for me, where the the sort of horror, if you will, came from. And increasingly, as the movie went on, it just became more and more unsettling because you just felt this paranoia that she was feeling and you felt this claustrophobia and isolation and all of it together uh, really contributed to, you know, the unsettled kind of tension. And, you know, the... the the dream sequences in the movie were fantastic, um, but they almost paled in comparison to the reality parts where, you know, she's just living in the building and, and trying to figure out what's going on and then trying to save her baby. The desperation that she has to save her baby is palpable and also contributes to the the sense of fear and horror. Yes, I completely agree. Well, let's talk about... Um, the film itself and some of the highlights uh, and, and reasons why Rosemary's Baby made our list. Uh, it's, it's, it's a movie, as I've said, I've been aware of for a very long time, and it stayed very sort of forefront uh, in popular culture, and there's a good reason for that. As I said, I think the themes have stayed remarkably relevant and even much more so now in the age of Me Too. Uh, what did you find in your research when uh, looking uh, into Rosemary's Baby? What I was more focusing on when I was researching this movie was more the characters themselves rather than the actual filmmaking, although I did research a little bit of the filmmaking. But something that really stuck with me was Terry's death at the beginning of the film. I just always... And, and let me just say, uh, Terry is a woman who is... Lived with the Castavets who are their eccentric neighbors. Right. And, and Rosemary meets Terry early on in the film and befriends her. Uh, in the laundry. And then yes. very soon after meeting her, they're... Uh, Rosemary and Guy are walking back to the apartment building and they come across a scene where there's been a suicide, uh, ostensibly a suicide, and it's Terry who has apparently fallen from the seventh floor window and is lying dead on the sidewalk. Yes, so I was always bothered by that. I never truly understood why... uh, I, I never really believed that she had committed suicide. I, of course, believed that she was murdered, but I never totally understood why she would be. So I did some research and what I found were a few theories and concepts about it. So what I found was Terry's death was most likely orchestrated by the Castavets, which we already realized because her drug abused womb could not host Satan's spawn. That never really clicked in my mind, but it makes perfect sense because she was taken up off the sidewalk by the Castavets to be rehabilita- rehabilitated, and I suppose that her drug-abused womb just wouldn't be a good host, but that makes perfect sense. And I think that your theory, what you're saying, uh, makes a lot of sense. Terry was taken in by the Castavets to be the mother of Satan's baby, and instead they, you know, for whatever reason, maybe she uses drugs again, who knows, but uh, they've decided she's not worthy, or Satan decided she's not worthy, and so she ends up being killed. That would actually make perfect sense, as you could hear the chanting the night before she was killed. Right, and I also wonder if Rosemary's appearance in the building 
maybe because they did say at one point, you know, later in the film, they say, you know, Satan chose you to be the mother of his son. Uh, You kind of wonder if maybe Rosemary appearing made the cast of Etz and Satan decide that Terry is no longer needed and therefore we need to get rid of her. So that's another possibility. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, I I just want to talk a little bit about the importance of this movie uh, in its time. Uh, 1968 is when the movie came out. The movie's set in 1965, but it came out in 1968. And there were three other... uh, really important movies that came out in 1968. All of them have had a a really important impact on culture and on film. Uh, The first was Planet of the Apes, which, uh, you know, went on to spawn numerous sequels. Uh, The original one starred Charlton Heston. And of course, Planet of the Apes had a reboot, quite successful reboot, uh, a few years ago uh, and did very well with its reboot. Uh, Another important movie that came out in 1968 was another horror film, Night of the Living Dead, which was a George Romero B film, which ended up being incredibly successful. It was the first real zombie movie and spawned, of course, innumerable uh, imitators afterwards. Yes. And then the final film in 1968 that was important was 2001 A Space Odyssey, which again, uh, incredibly important as a sci-fi movie, uh, had a huge impact on movies that followed and remains a movie that is an enigma even So today. just revolutionary films. Revolutionary films. And then along comes Rosemary's Baby, which doesn't seem on its surface to be as revolutionary as these other films. And yet I would say the themes in Rosemary's Baby have held up, as I've mentioned several times already in this discussion, the themes have held up really well. Several critics have said, you know, uh, Rosemary's Baby is the greatest horror film without any horror in it. One critic, Penelope Gillat, she called uh, the style of Rosemary's Baby gynecological gothic, which I think is really interesting. We talked in The Exorcist how uh, body horror is a thing, Uh, you know, this idea that as uh, Reagan changes from, you know, a beautiful 12-year-old girl to this possessed demon child, her physical, you know, changes are really disturbing and scary. Uh, well, in this movie, uh, you know, there is a, a different kind of body horror here. And this is coming directly from the um, author of uh, the book, Ira Levin. Uh, he wrote that having observed that the most suspenseful part of a horror story is before, not after the horror appears... I was struck one day by the thought that a fetus could be an effective horror if the reader knew it was growing into something malignly different from the baby expected. Nine whole months of anticipation with the horror inside the heroine. And that's really, when you get right down to brass tacks, that's the scary part about this movie, is you know there's something wrong with this baby, and you spend the whole movie wondering what the hell is coming out. Yes, uh, and like there are small hints throughout the movie where where Guy refuses to touch Rosemary because he's afraid of of what that baby is, and those small hints just they they really show you the horror and and how terrifying it is that something is growing inside Rosemary, but it is not at all what she expects. Right, and she's the only one who doesn't know until close to the end. Yes. The other thing about this movie, and you know, 
the the reason I say it's held up so well is because there are so many women's issues that were you know coming to the fore in the late 1960s. Uh, when you think about the end of World War II, uh, women during World War II for the first time entered the workspace or the workforce uh, in huge numbers. Uh, men were called off to duty, and women filled the vacuum in factories. They went to work building the machines of war that were necessary in order to help the Allies win the Second World War. When men returned, many women just returned home and became the traditional housewives. But many others stayed in the workforce because they had experienced this new earning power and this new freedom they had by having their own income. Well, throughout the 50s and into the 60s, increasing numbers of women began to work in, tra- in jobs that had traditionally been thought of as men's work. And this conflict between women's liberation and feminism, um, you know, really reached its peak towards the end of the 60s and into the 70s. And we see in this movie a lot of gender issues that remain relevant today. Marital rape. So... Guy, when when they have their little cult meeting and she gets and Rosemary gets raped by Satan, his cover story is that he decided that he wanted to have sex with her while she was unconscious, which is marital rape. Right, and at the time, marital rape was not illegal. Marital rape was essentially accepted. And you, for those of you listening to the podcast, you can't see my daughter's face. And her face just dropped and gave me a look like, what the hell? Yes. Yes. Well, unfortunately, uh, this is the case. Marital rape was not illegal. It's not to say it was sanctioned, but because it wasn't illegal, if a woman was raped by her husband, she had no recourse because they were married. And oh, that makes me so angry. Right. And I remember you being very angry when we watched that scene where, you know, he basically explains away all of the scratches that are on her from being raped by the devil. Uh, and he says, oh, well, you know, I really I, I didn't want to miss our chance to have a baby. So, I, you know, we, I was maybe a little rough with you when you were unconscious. What time did I go to sleep? You didn't go to sleep. You passed out. Uh, from now on, you get cocktails or wine, not cocktails and wine, huh? The dreams I had. Don't yell. I already filed them down. <laughs> I didn't want to miss baby night. You. And a couple of my I nails were out? ragged, and and it was. Kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way. I dreamed someone was raping me. I didn't know someone inhuman. Thanks a lot. What's the matter? Nothing. I didn't want to miss the night. We could have done it. This morning or tonight. Last night wasn't the only split second. I was a little bit loaded myself, you know. It, it not only is it disturbing to have seen her be raped by the devil, but then to have this that cover be the story. cover story that right. is terrible. Yeah, and, and you can tell she's thoroughly disturbed, but oh, she doesn't want to say anything about it because what can she say? Exactly. At that time, women were still, although they were gaining power and although they were gaining a voice, they were still captive. Um, another, uh, you know, w- one of the things that really 
you know, I talk about the fetus and the growing baby as being, you know, a source of horror in this film. Another source of horror, and both of us remarked upon this during the during when we were watching this, was the way that Guy basically bartered his wife for his own success. I mean, he, you know, it, this is the classic Faustian tale where, you know, you make a deal with the devil where you trade the devil your soul in order to have something you want. Well, instead of trading his soul, he traded his wife. He gave up his wife's body so that he could get a part in a Broadway play. I mean, that's basically what happened here. That is exactly that's what exactly happened. That's exactly what happened. And he's quite proud of it. He even says at the end, he's like, hey, nobody pr- got hurt. They <laughs> promised that they wouldn't hurt me. And they didn't hurt, or they promised that they wouldn't hurt you. And they didn't. Right. Uh, other uh, issues that uh, you know came up in the movie and are relevant today, uh, abortion is mentioned. At one point, she says... Uh, when she's having difficulties with the pregnancy, her girlfriends get her uh, away from Guy, the husband, yes. and convince her to go see a different gynecologist or a different obstetrician. And she really does, and she she makes it clear that she does not want an abortion, right? Which was Although, never even on the table. Nobody had ever suggested that, but we're all thinking it. Yeah, right, and the audience because we know what is inside of her. Was abortion legal at that time? Roe versus Wade had not happened yet, so abortion was well. That's a whole other conversation. I know. But it 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 brings up this this notion of men controlling women's bodies and women's choices. Yes, which was relevant in 1968 and remains incredibly relevant today. And that's why I think this movie is, is resonated so much with both of us. Uh, motherhood uh, at the end of the movie. When Rosemary has given birth to the devil's son and is confronted with this knowledge, uh, we never see the baby. It, it, that you know, it is never shown always, to I us. I was very worried that we were going to, so right. I was like peeking but you know, through my fingers. It's best that they didn't show it to us, right? Yeah. They leave it up to our imagination. Just and leave it to mystery. The scene where where Mia Farrow's character sees the baby, her facial expression is enough. Her just initial horror, right? is enough for us in the audience to feel the same horror without seeing the baby. Yes. But she rapidly changes her tune, again, because she's captive. She's a woman. She's got nowhere to go. She's not employed herself. She she really is, is captive to her husband. And anyone she tells will just put her in a mental asylum. Right. And so what does she do? She You could see the change in her face. How she, she immediately gets sort of the the tug of motherhood wins over her repulsion over what the baby actually is. And she decides to accept it. Yeah. Which is so eerie and disturbing and I I I'm honestly slightly speechless at that because I just just that ending where I you you were saying when we were watching it, you were telling me, you were like, okay, she's going to kill the baby and then kill herself. And then it ended at a point where she was just gazing down at the baby. Lovingly. Lovingly. Yeah. And both of us just turned to each other. And we were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally shocked. And, and I mean, didn't that make the movie that much better, right? Oh, so much better. Yeah. I, I said to you at the end, I was like, I got to really think on this one because that was not what I expected at all. Now, there were several off-screen things that were happening at the same time when this movie was made. The first was uh, Mia Farrow, who, by the way, if you haven't seen this movie, 
Um, I've seen Mia Farrow in many, many films that were made later than this through her Woody Allen years. And she's always been a very attractive actress. But in this movie, she is just She's a vision. She's beautiful. Yes, in this she's movie, gorgeous. Right? She's just gorgeous, and I I had never seen her that way, and it was really amazing to me. Um, she looked like Twiggy, uh, who's another model who you probably uh, don't know. Sam, I'll have to show you a picture. I but, do not, but Twiggy she's was a gorgeous. very famous model for that time. Uh, very waif like and uh, just sort of youthful and blonde and just yeah. I mean, Mia Farrow just looked amazing in this movie. Well, she was married to Frank Sinatra. And uh, Sinatra, being the somewhat misogynist uh, gentleman that he was, told uh, Mia Farrow that, I don't want you acting in this movie. You're married to me now. You don't need to work. And when Farrow this, said... This, this makes me dislike Frank Sinatra now. What are you doing to me? <laughs> There's a lot about Frank Sinatra you don't know that you probably don't want to. But um, Mia Farrow... Uh, said, well, no, I'm going to do this movie. And then he, uh, well, he served her divorce papers on the set. And so Farrow said to Polanski, the director, he, she said, you know what? I can't do this. I have to go home and save my marriage and was about to walk off. And Polanski showed her a rough cut, basically the footage that they had shot already. They had about an hour of footage, and he showed her the footage, and she was so blown away by what they were doing that she decided, no, I'm going to stay. And as a consequence, was divorced from Frank Sinatra. So a movie about a woman who is trapped and cannot escape a, a terrible situation, played by an actress who shows that in no uncertain terms is she going to be trapped. She makes her own decisions and uh, goes on to make this incredible film. So I thought that was interesting. Now, Polanski, he's a controversial character and um, a very well-respected filmmaker, but not a very well-respected person because he admitted to having sex with a minor And uh, the question of whether or not that was consensual has always been up for a certain amount of debate. I think that it's fair to say that it was not consensual and that he basically raped a minor. Um, When he admitted to that, he fled the country before he could be brought to trial. And as a consequence, has basically been a fugitive from justice living in Poland his native Poland, since the time of that uh, occurrence back in the early 1970s. Um, So he is very much a target of the Me Too movement, even though he's made a film that I think really resonates with the Me Too movement. So it's very... Yes, that's very interesting. Right? It's like a a conflicting sort of like ironic kind of thing where here's a guy who made up such a powerful feminist movie who is really a villain to women because of his actions off the screen. Very anti-feminist, very... And one other thing about Polanski. Originally, he was thinking about his wife, Sharon Tate, as being uh, perfect for the lead. But Sharon Tate was a taller, uh, bigger woman, and I don't mean big like obese. She was just a, like, Mia Farrow's tiny, and Sharon Tate was just a, you know, a taller, bigger woman. And uh, so in the end, they decided Mia Farrow would be perfect for the role, and Sharon Tate was not going to play the role. Well, Sharon Tate was pregnant in 1968, and when Roman Polanski was out of the country for some other film project he was working on, uh, she unfortunately was visited at her home by uh, Charles Manson, 
and his uh, followers. And uh, that led to the very famous murders, uh, the Manson killings. Uh, so Sharon Tate and some friends were murdered in her in Roman Polanski's home. Yes, I, I did read about that briefly. Yeah, so we have a filmmaker making a movie about the devil worshippers and Manson, who has sometimes referred to himself as a rebirth of Christ, but also would refer to himself as a rebirth of Satan, killing his wife. So there's a lot of crazy coincidences and a lot yes, of conflicting actually, sort of that, history. That actually led to um, to many of the people on set to believe that the connotation that the horror film was cursed, as right. many horror films deem to be. Well, and it was films in that day, right? I mean, it was films back in the late 60s, early 70s that had to do with the occult and with, you know, devil worshipping. Uh, so like The Exorcist and yes. Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, and many of these other films, any of them that sort of like glorified, if you will, Satan, any time that something would happen to any of the they actors... Were, they were just or, deemed you know, cursed. Exactly, yeah. And, and you know, fortunately... As horrible as the Tate killing was, that, uh, that was the only really terrible thing that happened surrounding this uh, production. There were no other major bad things, but I mean, that was bad enough. Um, one other thing I want to say um, about this film, Jordan Peele is a contemporary director who uh, directed one of the films that's on our list that we'll be talking about in future episodes, uh, Get Out. And Jordan Peele, I think, uh, really... For him, Rosemary's Baby remains one of his favorite movies of all time. And the reason, he says, is because it's a film about gender. It's about men making decisions about women's bodies behind their backs. And I think that's, that's really true. That's a perfect true, description. Right? That's a perfect description. It kind of synthesizes a lot of the stuff that I've been saying and a lot of those Me Too kind of uh, resonant uh, issues that make this movie so good and so relevant today. Uh just all in all, a phenomenal film. Can't say enough about it. I, I really, I mean, it's, of the three we've watched, I think it's my favorite. Yeah, I would completely agree. It was just, it was the perfect combination of suspense, yet dramatic irony, and just a perfect combination of horror, but not jump scares. It right. was just a wonderful movie. I actually watched it twice, two days in a row with my mother so that she could see it. And honestly, the second time through, it was even more disturbing than the first. And it was just, I would 100% watch it again. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If you have not seen this movie, uh, even though we've given you spoilers, I mean, it's not like any of the spoilers are terribly... I mean, the movie is is brilliant, even if you know the story. Um, so I, we highly recommend it. And all three movies that we've seen have been terrific, uh, but we definitely highly recommend this one. We both were left pretty impressed. Yes. Well, I think that's all we have to say about Rosemary's Baby. What do you think, Sam? Is there anything more you want to add? I don't think so. It was just an incredible film. All right. Well, we're going from sort of scary horror movies. We're going to take a little bit of a jump. I know Sam's really excited about this. Uh, we mentioned 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, the director of that film was Stanley Kubrick. Another one of Kubrick's classic movies is the one that's next up on our list. Sam? The Shining. She's super excited. <laughs> oh, I think we'll be tell. watching that one during daylight hours. 
Yes, please. <laughs> this is from the girl whose idea it was to watch horror movies in the first place. <laughs> yes, this whole podcast was my idea, and now I don't want to watch the movies. Well, I'm excited to say that for the next episode, we're going to have our first guest. Um, we are going to be inviting uh, guests uh, along the way as we watch some movies in the future. Uh, people who know something about movies or know something about movie making, and uh, we hope that they will add to our conversation and enlighten us uh, on some of these things. So uh, we'll look forward to that. But for now, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you will leave us a rating and a review wherever you download this podcast and that uh, you will subscribe. If you've enjoyed it, please do tell a friend. We'd love to get this out to more people and uh, share our uh, enjoyable experiences with horror film with more listeners all the time. For now, I'm dead. And I'm Slaughter. And this has been the Dead and Slaughter Dad and Daughter Horror Show. And uh, we look forward to talking about The Shining on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.